we'd like to welcome you to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. In this episode, you're going to find me, my dad, and Patrick discussing the impact of the millennial generation. Here's what's coming up. My sense of it, that my father paid real attention to what I was doing, and whenever he thought I was going to get myself in trouble, he wanted to jump in and show me what to do first. And then I think my knowledge at some point surpassed his in some ways. We have a lot of communication, but I think the, the gap there is the understanding. And that's just it. We have to create the culture uh, where uh, everybody's heard, uh, everybody's valued. We all got to work together as a team. For a better business, a better life, a better industry. The Institute's Leading Edge. Well, we'd like to welcome everyone uh, to the Leading Edge, uh, sponsored by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence and online today. We're shorthanded. Sorry, guys, but you have me, uh, Cecil Bullard, the CEO of the Institute, and you have Kent Bullard, the, uh, the son of who runs the Institute while I'm traveling around the United States and Canada and gets, uh, gets the real job done. Um, uh, as per normal, uh, this is really here for you to ask us questions and for you to, for us to answer your questions. So if you have any business questions that you'd like to ask, please feel free to do so. Um, should be commercial free, although today, I think we're going to spend just a couple of minutes uh, somewhere along the way talking about a new program that we're very, very excited about. Uh, and uh, to get us uh, started, uh, while we're waiting for all of you uh, to come online and ask us questions, uh, what we're going to do here is uh, talk a little bit about fathers and sons working together. Um, you know, Kent, I think if we look out there in the automotive industry that there is a large number of uh, shop owners whose sons are working on the, uh, you know, at the shop and whose sons are, you know, at some point probably going to take over the business or that's kind of maybe dad's plan and son's plan, but it often doesn't work out as well or it's very, very difficult uh, for fathers and sons uh, to to talk and to work together. So, Kent, um, I know that um, I know that you and I we have our moments, mostly good, but every once in a while we have bad ones. Um, yeah. what, what's that? Yeah, he's like, yeah. yeah. Well, it happens, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you what do you think? Uh, about working with, you know, for for me or, or with me at, at, at what, what are your main struggles? What do you think they are? Um, I would say definitely, uh, like, I haven't had an issue with, like, generally people know who I am. They're, oh, you're Cecil's son, uh, but there isn't that you're just his son. Um, that hasn't been something which I thought would have been kind of that thing. That would, that would kind of bug me is, or, or cause issues would be people just seeing me as a son. And that's the only reason why I'm working there. Um, but I think one of the, one of the biggest challenges we have, um, and that more or less goes into our personalities is communication. Um, just flat out. Um, and I think that 
I don't know. It's definitely been um, interesting trying to manage this relationship because it's not something like, you know, most of my life has been you as my father. And now it's you as my boss and my father. And that's, that's an interesting balance. I, you know, I, I work for my dad, as, as you know. I mean, uh, Grandpa Bullard. Um, yeah. And uh, that was a somewhat of a struggle for me. I actually ended up leaving the business after darn near 20 years with him. Um, I'm going to welcome everybody one more time because I think we weren't quite live when I, I did the initial. So welcome to the leading edge, everyone. Uh, and I'm going to apologize once one more time. It always um, takes... Yeah. like 20 minutes to get it going. We're, but we're there. We're, we really are there faster than normal. Um, I'd like to apologize to everybody. We are shorthanded today. We have a bunch of people on vacation. I've actually got a couple of guys actually um, traveling today. They were working with shops across the country who needed help. And uh, so Patrick is actually on, uh, on a flight today coming back to California from uh, uh, the East Coast. Uh, where he spent three days with one of our clients uh, helping them in the service department, and we hope we've got him on track and everything went well. Um, today, uh, as normal, we're here really uh, uh, to answer your questions. So if you have any questions, uh, your business questions, certainly I'm here to ask them. Um, today, Kent and I, Kent is, is my son, but he also is my uh, uh, manager. What is your official title? I was trying to think uh, of it. Uh, VP of operations, vice president of operations can make sure everything happens the way that it's uh, supposed to happen. So we'd like to welcome, uh, you know, everybody on Facebook and sure. Certainly if you have a question, uh, there's two places to write questions. I would probably write them on Facebook because I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring that um, uh, as we speak. It's easier for me to do that. Uh, and we love your questions. Uh, we started out kind of talking about fathers and sons working together, and Kent was explaining uh, that he has a difficult time sometimes communicating. I, I, I'm sure that that's not one-sided. Um, I think there's two other things. Uh, you know, there's there's the, the father-son uh, dynamic. Yeah, future owner, that's the uh, – Gary, that's – hopefully that's what we're, what we're talking about. You know, mo there's so many shops where the um, – where the father, yeah, Patrick Dion, please. Uh, where the father the and the son are, um, uh, Patrick's actually sitting in the airport, so let's get him on. What the heck? Um, where the father and the son are, um, you know, working together. The, the plan, I think, in dad's mind is uh, my son's going to take over my empire, uh, keep the shop running, this thing that I've built. I'm not sure what's in the son's mind, having been the son. I think when I was trying to take over from my dad, it was like, would you get the heck out of my way so I could do the job? Um, I think, uh, you know, dads are, you know, I, I think there's multiple issues. One is that, you know, in, in many cases, the father's on a downward trend, meaning I've, I've worked really hard for a very long time. I'm kind of tired now. This is not necessarily, you know, I wake up every morning and go, oh, I get to go to work, you know, um, uh, I get to change the world today, so we're so we're more on a maybe a downward uh, trend a little. <clears throat> Certainly, our energy uh, seems to be on at least mine uh, seems to be on a downward trend. I think that was true with my father. I think sons, um, you know, younger, they're like I want to I want to tackle the world. I used to be that guy. I, I still want to kind of tackle and change the world, but um, 
then there's the father-son dynamic. Uh, I'm the dad, so listen to what I have to say and do what I tell you. Uh, um, I think that's kind of an issue. Uh, and then there's the generational uh, dynamic, uh, the way that I was raised. Uh, you, you weren't supposed to question dad, uh, although I, I, I did. Um, you weren't supposed to give dad any crap. He was the he was the king of the world. He was the head of the household. He he's the one that uh, was in charge. You were supposed to listen to what he had to say. Um, I don't know. Do you think? Let's let's say generational for a moment later. What do you think? You know, you said our communication is one of the biggest issues. Why 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 do you think that's so? Because we communicate a lot. I think, especially in comparison to myself and my father. I think. It- well, that's also the the generations as well, because he was he was from the uh, silent generation, and then you're a boomer. Um, one thing is, and I, I actually read a, a book um, on my on my vacation just last week about specifically the communication between the two or between generations, and we have a lot of communication, but I think the the gap there is the understanding. We're both talking at each other, but there isn't. Um, it's kind of like that. I, I use an example, like uh, say you're at a restaurant, um, and you say, thank you for somebody filling up your water. Right. Uh, a millennial would say, um, no problem. Uh, and an older generation would say, you're welcome. It's somewhat the same thing, but just a, a difference of understanding. Um, and I've actually seen people get upset with me saying no problem instead of you're welcome. Uh, especially with older, just because, like for millennials, no problem means it was no burden on me whatsoever. I was happy to do that service. It, 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 you didn't trouble me at all. Whereas your welcome is um, kind of an, of an acceptance for thank you. Yes, I did provide this service. Uh, and it, it, so it's just that slight little thing is just kind of a, an example of the overall uh, communication gap between the two generations. Right. Can you send Patrick a link? Can't, as I did. Talk? I did. Uh, use the second one. The first one, I don't think will work. Um, but I got you a, a new invite, and it should have gone out. Just wait for it. It should. It, it'll be the second one you get. All right. Um, hey, speak of the devil. Hey, devil. What's up? How was your uh, How was your time uh, 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 on the East Coast? You there? Can't he's, hear you. He's still sitting up. There he is. There he is. He's showing up. He's showing up. <laughs> there we go. Now I can hear you. How, how was your time on the East Coast, my friend? It was fantastic. What do you think? Um, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift. We're going to come back to fathers and sons, Kent. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a shift. You were just in the – oh, uh, John Francis would like to know the name of the book that you were listening to about millennials or, or uh, Kent. Oh, you know what? Let me pull up my Audible real quick. And I'll You'll do that while we're, while we're – uh, Patrick, um, uh, you were at a shop. I'm not going to name names. I, I don't want to do that. But uh, uh, some struggles at the counter, some struggles with sales um, uh, and process. Uh, how? What'd you find? What, what'd you do? Well, the first thing I did was uh, talk to the owner. Um, good shop. Great shop. Um, very nice shop. Very nice shop. And uh, <clears throat> I talked to the owner. The owner was struggling, being stuck in the problem versus finding solutions for problems. And, uh, you know, 
the sales were there. Car count, car count's an issue. Um, it was up and down with the car count. When I was there, uh, I swear we had a conversation the night before about our attitudes and how our attitudes affect other people and leadership and all of those things. And uh, we had that conversation. The owner came in the next day. We all sat down, had a conversation, a team conversation. Uh, lo and behold, all the cars started showing up and we were selling work and everybody was happy again. <laughs> so, for day, um, uh, no, for the whole, all, all week. Good. Yeah. Do you think the cars um, showed up because we were happy or do you think the cars were there? We just weren't able to take advantage of them because where we were at mentally. I think, I think it was a little bit of both. Right. Um, you know, when you're stuck in a problem, everything's a disaster. Uh, every little thing becomes a disaster instead of finding solutions for them. You know, um, as an owner, it's our responsibility to find solutions to problems. And help our staff find solutions to problems. That's Continue. right. That's right. In fact, one of the best things we can do, and I, was, I, I spoke at an ASCCA meeting. I was in L.A. last night. got in about 2.30 in the morning this morning. Um, and uh, um, I was talking about communication in, in, in the business and this idea of creating a culture of problem solving instead of, oh, heck, the world's ending and we can't, you know, we, we're not doing anything uh, and just get mad at each other. Um, so uh, do you think now that you have the ability to, uh, um, I don't know, get that the, that the owner there and the, and the team has a better ability to communicate and solve problems? I, I, I hope so. Um, I, I think so. I think, you know, I, I, I really focused on that because running a business is not, it's not a straight line. There's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs, but there has to be a steady hand at the wheel. Um, somebody has to be the cheerleader. Somebody has to uh, be the one um, stepping in to keep things moving and solving problems. And that is the owner's responsibility. Uh, they don't get, they don't, like I told uh, this owner, you don't get the opportunity to be stuck in a problem. Uh, you have to be the one finding solutions. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I think that some owners have this idea that I have to be all the solution guy. I'm always the solution guy. I'm out of solutions. I've been there and I've been in that, that mental place where it's like, I don't have another solution to give you. Um, but I, I think that, I think that if we can, that it's cool and we can get our, our employees coming up with those solutions. I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to help direct people or, or create that culture that will get the answers. And that's just it. We have to create the culture uh, where uh, everybody's heard, uh, everybody's valued. Um, we, we, we all got to work together as a team. I had, I had a couple meetings, um, and I had a couple of the guys come up to me and, and afterwards and say, you know, I really like what you had to say, and I appreciate the fact that you were here. Good. I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. Um, to key, key to what you just said right there. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be valued, right? Absolutely. And I, I think that's everybody in, in a, in a very broad sense. Um, because 
I want to be heard and I want uh, people to pay attention and you want to be heard and you want people to pay attention. We all want to feel like we're a part of this thing and that uh, what we bring to the table has real value. Um, and, and if we create that, that kind of communication within our shop uh, where, where we're not stuck in a problem, uh, then I think that we can, we can give that more often. Right. Yeah. And we, and we can get through it. You know, we right. can get through these, these downturns uh, as a team. We find, you know, uh, literally the day that I showed up, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, being active and looking for employees, uh, be active in our marketing, uh, be active. Just uh, don't just sit there and poo poo everything. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do something. One of the um, one of the things that I I recognize uh, in my shop owners that are really excelling, um, it's not that they don't have problems, but they kind of deal with those in a different way uh, because they know that they're going to overcome them. It's not like uh, this is the end of the world. This is just another bump in the road, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, instead of oh my god. You know, the world's going to end, uh, uh, you know, um, et cetera. And that includes actually even terminating employees. I look at it as, as it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, all right. Um, we, we're carrying on this kind of uh, millennial conversation. Uh, uh, sons and fathers working together, uh, working with uh, millennials. And we're getting a, a few comments here. Uh, Kim uh, Onheimer, she says, uh, it seems like millennials want uh, everything now um, and that they, they, they don't seem to have, you know, patience. They want the most money. They want the most vacation. They want to be good at what they do uh, literally uh, immediately. And what I, I would tie to that, too, as an old timer, um, uh, and I'll, I'll call myself that because I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Uh, I would tie that, too. They think they know um, what, what needs to be done, what should be done, even without the years of experience. So, um, so I have, uh, I'm, I want to cut in because just on that, um, one thing that separates the millennial generation from past generations, one, the, the, just the explosion of the internet, having the internet, this actually created a divide generally throughout time each generation passes on knowledge to the next generation. Um, but we've been collecting data, collecting information, and now we don't have to go to our authorities, to our elders. We can actually just get all the information we need through the internet. And that's caused a serious divide. But there's, but there's, two, different, there's two different pieces to this. And, and, and I think that there's enough data to support the fact that you know, we have these these young men and women coming out of these colleges uh, yes. that are that, that are technical colleges that are teaching them how to work on cars. And and for the most part, my experience has been that when they come out, they have all kinds of knowledge. They know how the computer system works, and they know how they know how the, the you know they know all the systems. They know all the way things work, but they have no experience. And and you have to have both. Yes. I, I think, and, and, and so the millennials have this, this huge date of knowledge, and I, I hate it. I used to be able to be dad and be the guy that was right. So even when I was wrong, nobody knew it. 
because they didn't have <laughs> or whatever to fact check me. And, and, and over the last four or five years, it's like, no, dad, you're wrong. It wasn't so-and-so that did X, Y, Z or whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Siri's wrong. I'm just, here, wrong. I'm just here to I, humble you. That's, that's but, all. <laughs> but, but so I hate that part, but you know, you have these millennials, even in my own, experience with you at, at, at the office, maybe this will be our, um, uh, we'll have Patrick as the mediator and, and this will be our, uh, our, um, uh, psychology session, right? Um, therapy. <laughs> therapy session, right. Um, the, 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 the experience part isn't there. And, and my experience, and, and again, maybe you're smarter than me. Um, I hope so, but my experience took me years uh, to get in a position where I felt like that knowledge was really applicable and, and I really knew what I was talking about. Yeah. And I don't get that. I, I don't get that feeling from you in, in, in some subjects, some of the stuff that we talk about, like uh, education and, and some of the training and stuff like that. It, it's like, okay, you read the book, which is great. The book's wonderful. I've read lots of them, obviously, but I did it in the shop and I did it, I did it multiple times in multiple shops. And I think that experience means a lot. Yeah. Right? So how do we, how do we help them, the millennials in our lives uh, that work for us? Number one, feel appreciated, feel like they contribute, but also un- help them understand that it takes time for the experience to catch up to the knowledge. That's, that's perfect right there. Experience to catch up to knowledge, right? So I've got, and I think a lot of the pressure comes from like, I've been with some of the best consultants and the best shop owners and getting training like firsthand for the past five years since I've been working for this company. So I get a ton of information. Um, and it's almost like that, uh, that itch, like I, I want to try, I want to use it, right? I want to get in there and, and get my hands dirty and, really try and get the experience to back up all this knowledge that I have, right? You can, you can learn anything, but if you don't really know how it's applied, then it doesn't feel like it actually has any substance to it. So, so um, Patrick, I, I think I have a new employee for you for a year or so. Um, only, only problem is I can't do without him here. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got a millennial working for me, uh, my service advisor. Uh, his... He's a fantastic kid. He's, he's kind of an aberration in that uh, he's a hard worker, doesn't mind earning it. Um, but his, his one downfall is he won't ask for help. And that drives me nut to, nuts to no end. Uh, you know, I'm constantly telling him, you can't do it all. And I'm, I'm, I just, every time we get to that point where he's overwhelmed, he won't ask for help. He just powers through it and makes his mistakes. And I, I, I go back. I let him make his mistake. I go back and just retrain him. When you need help, you have to ask for it. And uh, I, I learned that from you, Cecil. You know, uh, we retrain them. Uh, we let them make their mistakes, and then we retrain. So, so and, let's, let's, let's go backward in time, if we can, a bit. Uh, to when you and I were in our mid twenties, and we we knew most of everything. At least I think my dad uh, felt that I knew everything. Um, 
I told him often what he should be doing because I had, again, a lot of book knowledge. I read a lot. I, I went to college. I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um, were we the same? You know, were we the same and did we succeed because our fathers or our bosses um, let us make mistakes even, even when we should have asked the question, right? Uh, is that something that is absolutely necessary to give them some headway and let them go out there and, and do some things wrong? Uh, is, that, is that important part of the growth process uh, for everyone, whether you're millennial or you're a, a, a next generation or whatever, right? What do you what do you think about that, Patrick? Were you that guy also? I think you yeah. were, right? Yeah. I made a, I made a lot of mistakes, and and my bosses let me make them. My dad let me make them. Uh, we had a lot of heart to hearts afterwards, right. um, you know, explaining where we went wrong. And uh, uh, unfortunately for me, I didn't always learn the quickest. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we get we get we get what we put into it, right? Uh, I think. My experience with millennials has been uh, they 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 need a little bit more. Excuse me. Morris, sit in there for what can you do? <laughs> uh, they need a little bit more attention, uh, I think, than our generation did. Uh, but I think I, I think it was different in the sense that you know my dad. I, I don't know the my sense of it is that my father paid real attention to what I was doing. And whenever he thought I was going to get myself in trouble, he wanted to jump in and, and show me what to do first. And then, mm -hmm. and then I think my knowledge uh, at some point surpassed his in some ways. Um, sure. And uh, uh, he, he couldn't, or I wouldn't let him come in and tell me. And so then I went and made those mistakes uh, and suffered whatever those consequences were. Uh, um I'm not so sure that the millennials are really that much different from I when I was 25 or you were 25. Yeah. Um, we have a, I think a good question from, from Kim. It's from Kim. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I, not sure. I agree with it, frankly. Uh, Kim's, uh, Kim's question is um, another, it, it seems millennials are not as money focused. Um, how, how do we adjust our pay plans to encourage workmanship and productivity? Um, obviously I think that, you know, when I grew up, uh, uh, we were, we weren't wealthy. Um, uh, I was a flat rate tech. Give me more work. Give me more work. Give me more work. Uh, uh, I needed that money to pay the bills, et cetera. Uh, I'm still fighting that battle. I think somewhat even today, uh, more and more and more, uh, uh, there isn't enough, uh, the, the ax might fall any day. Um, you know, uh, and maybe I'm still trying to prove to my parents that I'm a good guy and that I'm smart enough and all that. But, um, uh, Ken, if you guys are really not money focused, what turns your crank? I mean, how do we motivate uh, uh, millennials? They want it now. So, you know, getting the business in the future uh, seems like that's not going to motivate. That might just frustrate. Uh, I can't put money in front of them uh, because that's not going to do the job. What do I do? So if uh, Pew... A research center did a, a study, I think, in like 2016 or 2017. Pretty recent. But it asked uh, millennials what, they're, what they valued most. Um, and money didn't show up until six or seven okay. in the list. The first is to be um, 
uh, I think a good parent. The second is a good uh, person to the community. The third is, uh, I think, good to the environment or something. Uh, I, I don't have it with me. I can't remember. But wow. I know that money isn't until sixth. That's, it's kind of one of those things where people are like, well, they're entitled, they're selfish, they're... Uh, and a lot of those things, when you actually ask millennials, don't show up until way down the list. And the only reason they show up on the list is because those are necessary. Money is necessary. It's not our drive, but it's necessary to live. And if you look at living expenses, so like right now, just here in, in Utah, um, not even like a major city, just Ogden, which is north of Salt Lake City, uh, the average living wage for like a single person, a single parent is 61000 to meet minimum standards. So it's not only that, plus the, plus the debt from college, which is a whole other. Sucking the life out of the generation. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the things is we want to find somewhere where we could, uh, we can place our roots. Right. Um, And there's something I've been working on. It's um, secondhand experience, or that's what I'm calling it. We've been able to see, a lot more and be able to categorize and actually analyze data from how uh, the older generations have been running because we can get all that information online. Um, and what it, the secondhand experience is saying, well, we know that that didn't work out for them. Um, we want to try this. <laughs> for some of you guys, but I mean like, uh, so I'd say we're trying to find a place to, really buckled down, but it needs to be a place where we, we can grow uh, and make an impact. And that's, that's like key number one. We want to make a yeah, difference. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So, I, I, my experience with, with millennials is, is very similar to that. They're not money focused. Uh, when I, when I talk to my, just my service advisor, just as an example, because he's the only one really relevant in a business situation. So I can compare it to, uh, he's not concerned with the money necessarily, it's about uh, making a difference. It's about being a part of a team. It's about leadership skills. It's a, it's a, those things are important to him, um, which, is, which is a little bit different than the way I grew up. It was all competitive. Everything was very competitive. You know, who's, who's number one, right? Uh, those things aren't as important to them. Not everybody got a trophy, right? Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, well, I think that changed the, I think that was one of the game changers, you know, in my generation, you lost. And, and if you felt bad, it was like, well, you should, you lost, right? Next time you need to, <laughs> next time, well, from my dad, it was next time you need to try harder, work harder, right? Yep. That was his, yep. that was, that was his mentality. So, so when you guys became parents, when the boomers became parents, there was a huge change in parenting styles, and it came out with, uh, I think his name is Spock. Yeah, Dr. Spock. Yeah, and, and his influence on the way parenting was done drastically changed how it was done, right? There was a lot more, my kid is special, my kid, uh, you know, there, way more attention was given to being involved in your child's life rather than just raising them in a sense, right? So, so I feel like we've had more communication and more of a relationship than I think, and I'm just guessing here, I'm not going to make any, you know, this is what it is, but then you had with your father. Um, I, I think dad and I didn't, didn't talk, not in the sense of, I mean, he gave me direction and I either fought back or I did what he said. Yeah. Um, we didn't have the kind of conversation that said, Hey, I really need your help here. I need your input. 
you know, like you and I will look at, say, our service advisor mastery program and I, in our marketing, and I'm like, I, I'm not doing the job well enough, so I need your help to get this job done. And, and I still have frustrations when the job doesn't get done the way that I think it can, but he and I never had those kind of talks. He, in, in my generation, it was dad knows everything, dad is right. Even when dad is wrong, you do what dad says. See, so, and so, the, so that's part of it. We can, we can go around you, right? So if we think no, and no, we question, <laughs> well, well, not but in the business. Not but in that's the, something that the generation doesn't understand, I think. And, and, and again, we're, I, I hate generalities. I really do. Yeah. But you can't go around it. You have to learn through making mistakes. You have to learn from the other people that have done the job. And maybe you have a great new idea but you need our support to get that idea out there and to make that idea happen. And I think that's an important piece that at least some of the millennials that I've dealt with, they just don't seem to get that, right? Or understand that. Um, um, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to just track back to Kim. It was Kim's question about yeah. uh, how do we motivate them. I think uh, I've read some studies. Uh, millennials are looking for uh, if we create an atmosphere where, where they can be a part of a team, right. um, having benefit packages, um, uh, creating a, a, an atmosphere where they can win and uh, help people. Uh, Flex- those, those Flex- are the flexibility. 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 You know, those right. are the things that are important for <clears throat> millennials. Uh, yeah. Not so much, you know, like Kent said, you know, m- money to them is just a means to an end. It's not a motivator. Uh, so we got to give them those things that are important to them which I think in a sense we all want, uh, but where they fall on the scale of importance uh, varies uh, depending right. on the generation. Well, to me, you know, when we, when we teach our, our shop owners, um, we're teaching community in a mm-hmm. sense that the shop is a community. We're a family in a way, and uh, we teach communication, you know, having regular uh, company meetings, discussing issues, uh, uh, dealing with problems, coming up with solutions. Everybody's a part of the plan. Everybody needs to be involved. Uh, everybody's ideas are important. Uh, even if we yeah. don't necessarily choose that idea, it's, it's worth talking about uh, uh, and discussing. And I think that that's something that creates a culture where everyone from you know the baby boomer all the way down can get something out of that, right? Or a Rocky... Yeah said that identity is very important. And, and, and I'm, I, w- I would probably would clarify that. I mean, where am I in the world? Am I making a difference in the world? Uh, um, I think that's important, uh, at least to the millennials that I've, I've dealt with. Um, it's funny to me, you know, we have a company, and, you know, when you're the CEO of the company, you're always talking about, wow, this company's going to do, you know, $50 million in the future. And, and my millennials... They're right with me there. I mean, they're, they're invested and involved in trying to make sure that, um, that we are something and that we do make a difference in the world and make a difference in the lives of the people that we work with. So, Kent, what do, you, what do you feel about that? I mean, I think we have a lot of communication in our relationship, both as father and son, certainly a lot more than I ever had, and, and as a, a boss and employee or partner, uh, so to speak. I, I like to think of my employees as partners, 
in my company, even though sometimes I don't treat them that way, I'm sure. Uh, what do you think about that, Ken? Um, I, again, I just think it's, it's not necessarily the, the act of communication, but more the understanding and the interpretation of it, right? So I could say one thing, um, but you would interpret it a completely different way, which has, had, which has happened multiple times. And then we've had to sit down and, and really clarify what that meant. Um, <laughs> clarify what that meant. Um, I don't know. I think millennials are used to... Um, I just popped in my head, but the criticism thing. Um, millennials are used to immediate feedback from a lot of this stuff. And in communication, they are kind of looking for that. Um, an immediate feedback and immediate understanding. And yes, this is it. And Kim is, uh, is, is put another thing up. Is that for status? I'm important oh, oh. in the world or is it for pride of a, a job well done? Okay. So, so with the change in parenting styles, right? There was a lot of emphasis on you did a great job. You know, that whole participation thing, right? We're used to the immediate feedback. Was this, you know, Hey dad, I just hit this ball. Was this good or was this not good? What, what can I do to change it? It's, it's more constant, right? So when you talk about criticizing or, or adjusting millennial um, work, like if, if you want to change the standards by which they're doing their work, having an open, more relaxed conversation rather than a come sit in my office and we're going to discuss. Um, and that also goes into why millennials call their bosses by their first name and not boss man or Mr. Mr. In charge. Um, but I think they're looking for a job well done and they're looking for that feedback. Yeah. They're looking to see so that they can adjust and, and move forward in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. It's kind of like instant course correction right there. I have to smile because I, I can remember some conversations with my father when I worked with him. Um, before I worked with him, he was just this mysterious person who got up early and left and worked and came home late and, and uh, turned the lights off uh, to save electricity and complained about, you know, leaving the door open and, and uh, you know, uh, cooling down the outside, uh, et cetera. And, uh, um, but when I worked with him, I feel like I got to know him, but I remember a very distinctly kind of a conversation about, hey, you kind of need to tell people in your company, hey, you did a great job, uh, et cetera. And he was like, well, they get a paycheck, don't they? Yeah, I mean, and it's not about the money. Right. In his, no, it, I don't even think it was about the money as far as the paycheck. I think the paycheck was the reward, right? I, I think we all yeah. do things. It's funny. Uh, there's, I can't even tell you what the book is or who the guy talked about it, but um, we all do things in our best interest was the point behind this. Uh, uh, I can't even remember what it was. It could have been a book. It could have been a podcast. Um, even Mother Teresa did what was in her own best interest. And, and luckily... What lined up in her best interest was taking care of sick, uh, ill, uh, uh, feeding uh, uh, children, etc. And that gave her the joy that she needed to be happy within her life. That was why she did it. Um, and so there's kind of this, this uh, conversation. Um, I don't think, I mean, I think I work for the paycheck in the sense that, hey, I've got rent due and I got to know that my house payment's going to be made. But I don't work for a paycheck. I work because I love what I do and because I make a difference in the lives of the people 
that I can touch, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, I don't think that's different from my generation to any other generation. I, I mean, my dad, to him, his parents always said, you know, work hard, get a paycheck, take care of the family. My parents kind of said the same thing, but I also feel like in my generation, it was also more about us as, as individuals. I need to be happy. Yeah. Uh, and, and you also notice that, you know, my parents, uh, I don't think they liked each other for the last 40 years of their lives, uh, but they stayed married and they lived together because that's what you did. And now we have people that are, you know, after 35 years are getting divorced because they're not happy together and they want to have a happy life. Um, I, I think those are differences in, you know, the paycheck for my father was the reward. Uh, the paycheck was not necessarily the reward for me. I loved fixing cars and, and, and doing something that I felt like I was good at and, and someone else couldn't do. Uh, when, I, when I came into uh, consulting uh, uh, or, or selling when I was at the counter, I loved selling. I loved turning someone's um, mind uh, from, no, I don't want to buy, to, oh, I see how I need this. And, and now that I'm a consultant, I love... I love it when the light bulb goes on for my clients, when they, when they finally get it. Uh, you know, they fight so hard to hold on to their anger over the fact that their business isn't doing what they want it to do. And, and instead, at some point in time, they go, oh, if I, if I do this instead, yeah, my business is still going to struggle a bit, but I, I'm, I'm going to get better results and I'm going to be a happier person. And that's that focus on, solving the problems and, and communicating with your staff. Yep. Um, Kent, working with dad um, got to be tough, right? So what, how, how do you think that adds another layer into this, working with family? Uh, it definitely, it, it's, it's, you want you want to go into the into the business and separate those relationships. So at home, we're father and son. Here, we're um, manager and employee. Uh, but you can't do that. It just no. doesn't work. It doesn't compartmentalize like you would want it to. And so, I think going having having to learn where those things overlap and where they kind of you know. Um, it's 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 been challenging it's been challenging for sure but do you think you can i don't think i can separate it you can't but i think identifying and learning what action is from what part is important so saying well they did this and this is coming from the father-son relationship or they did this and this is coming from the manager employee relationship and just just keeping a conscious thought of of I need to keep these I need to keep that in mind to identify where these motivations and these actions are coming from. I actually have two different hats that I have in here. One says dad on it, one says boss. Yeah. Big letters. And and um I try to remember who I'm trying to be uh when I'm having a conversation. Am I trying to be dad? Uh hey, you know, I'm worried about your life and and, and I care about you, or am I trying to be boss? How come the job isn't getting done? Um, uh, which one am I trying to be today or in this particular conversation? I think, I think that's important when you're working with family. Another thing that my father did, I don't think he had any understanding of the economics of my generation. So when my father bought his house, 
he paid, uh, I think, $13,000 for a three-bedroom house. It wasn't in a great neighborhood, but it was a house. And, and by the way, that was in 1961. So $13,000 then was probably like $200,000 today. Yeah. Um, and his house payment was like 100 bucks uh, a month uh, for, you know, 35 years or 30 years, whatever that mortgage was. And, uh, and then when I came along and I was in my 20s, I mean, his house payment was still 100 bucks a month, but his income had gone up dramatically. And my house payment, my first house I bought was $100,000 and my payment was 1000 bucks a month. And I think my father always wondered where my money went. Uh, like I was spending it on drugs or hookers or something. <laughs> you, do, you, you know you ask me the same thing. Where's your money going? I try not to, really. <laughs> I, I try not to. I really made an, a, a conscious effort to to try to understand that economically the situation is different today than it was in my day. In my day, you could go, um, you know, getting a house was, it wasn't easy, but it was a lot easier than it is today. Uh, in my day, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if it was because it was, you were going to just strike out on your own when you were 18. Uh, it was kind of expected. Today, it's, it seems to be a lot different uh, economically. And I think that when we tie our economics to their economics, um, that's a problem. Uh, because I, I don't know what their house payment is. I don't know. I, I do know that insurance blows my mind today and the cost of, of just being alive uh, yeah. blows, blows my mind. Uh, Kim, it's, I'm going to get you, girl. It's, um, the, it's the experiential bias. Right. right. You've got these, these notions, these, these experiences you're pulling from that aren't going to apply. It's kind of like saying, well, I had, I started out on the shop sweeping floors and it took me X amount of years to get to the next position or the next role. They're not going to say, they're not going to take the same path. Right. Well, I don't think, think a, I don't think a millennial has the patience to sweep floors for three years so that they might have a chance of working on cars. Yeah. Uh, it just won't, it doesn't play like that because they have other influencers like money. They need to make progress. They need to make more money just to afford to live. But I think it's also, I think it also has to be the expectation that we created for them. Yeah. Different from the expectation our parents had for us. Um, I think that's a huge piece of this. I mean, you know, if, if Simon Sinek basically says we created this mess. It's our fault. It's not the millennials <laughs> fault. They're where they are. Uh, the, uh, the parents of the millennials, uh, the baby boomers, we made this happen. And so we are, and, and we're dealing with it. I mean, we have to, there's no other, there, there is no other option. Yeah. So, so how do we, um, Patrick, how do you in your business um, apply whatever psychology or how do you get your people invested, involved and excited about, you know, the, the progress and, and the business? It's a small business. There's not a lot of room for growth. Uh, uh, you know, they're not going to be the owner tomorrow. You're still the owner. Uh, how do you get, how do you keep them invested and involved? Well, I have a lot of conversations about, uh, I, you know, I talk about us and we, I talk about the team and, <clears throat> you know, I, I try to make it an atmosphere where everybody has a, everybody has a role to play. And, and I let them know that, uh, you know, whether you're, the car wash guy or the mechanic or the front office guy or the office manager, 
everybody's got a role to play in this business. And the biz, the business is nothing without each, each of the moving parts. And uh, I try to relate to them how important each of the moving parts is so that everybody ha everybody understands that this business is nothing without all the pieces. Um, the business is a living, breathing thing and it's got to be cared for and it's got to be nurtured. Uh, you got to get everybody invested. Uh, that's, that's my uh, philosophy. Uh, it's worked well. Uh, I've, all my employees have come to me at one time or another and thanked me for uh, the job. Uh, they appreciate the atmosphere that we've created there. Uh, you know, we are a team. Uh, and I let them know that we rise and fall together. Yeah. Also, I also think you can't just say, uh, so, so Rocky, uh, unless they are inspired to mop the floors and understand that it's important explaining the floor has to be clean in order for everyone to be moving forward around safe, et cetera. Um, and how we present the work. I think there needs to be, you can't just say that there is growth, there is opportunity, but there needs to be a logical progression to that. Like you can't say, Oh, if you do this and you work real hard, then you'll get there. We won't accept that. We got to say, well, what does working hard mean? How, what's, what are the steps we use to get there? I, I, I How think, do we get there? I think in my father's day, it was mop the floor because I said so. Yeah. Yeah. That, that does not work today at all. No. <clears throat> it has to be. <laughs> uh, the floor has to be clean for multiple reasons. One of the most important is our clients are going to come in here and it's going to set the tone for how they feel about us and how they think about us. Another would yep. be, you know, it's got to be clean because it's a safety issue. But you have to explain it in terms of, um, I don't even know if it's uh, consequences and, and rewards, but but it is, they have to understand why. And I, I think if they don't get the why, um, they won't do the do. So um, I, always, I always look at this, uh, boomers generally when you get, you know, uh, your, your boss says jump, you jump, right? Uh, Xers, the boss says jump, they say how high. Um, millennials, you say, the boss says jump, they say why? Yeah. Right? And the thing is, it's not, it's not a challenge of authority. That was the Xers. But, but that's millennials how are genuinely curious. Why are we doing it this way? Maybe there's a better way to do it. That's how we feel, though, when, from my generation. If you're questioning what I've asked you to do, um, it's almost this instantaneous uh, kind of thing. It's uh, that experiential bias being like, oh, well, I, I take offense to that because when I was that, I would never have said that to my boss. Well, my, my, da my dad would have just backhanded. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I would have been taking my butt off the ground um, back in the day, so to speak. Um, and I, I'm not saying that that, I mean, I don't think that our, our generation is so damaged that we can't survive. Uh, we've done a pretty good job. It's just different now uh, than it was then. Uh, Seth, is, uh, Seth has a comment here. I think, I think it's a valuable comment. You know, he says it works on my kids. And, and, and the fact is, it does work on kids up to a point. Up to a point. My, right. my son is five now, and he asks me why about everything. Well, I think that's a natural curiosity at a certain age that kids yeah. go through that. Yeah. I think that will disappear in a couple of years. You know, they go through this period. But I know that when my children hit 12, 13, 14, if they wanted to do something, you couldn't get in their way. There was nothing you could do other than chain them to a pole to keep them from doing what they wanted to do. And they were successful at what they did, amazingly so. I mean, Kent is 
an amazing self-taught guitarist, musician, drummer, uh, Cecil the same. Uh, and you couldn't have stopped them. Even if you broke every guitar in the house, they would have went out and, 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 and stole one, found one, something. Um, on the other hand, and on the other side of that, if they don't understand why and they don't buy into doing whatever it is, there's nothing you can do to force them to do the job. There comes a point at a certain point in a, a child's development. And as a parent, I don't, I want that. I want them to be independent and make their own decisions and make their own mistakes at some point in time. And I was told from my church and from my, my, I don't know, Spock and, and, and all those others that it was a valuable thing to have them make their own decisions as soon as possible. And so we try to develop that within our, our kids. I think we have to develop that within our businesses because I think these kids that were my kids are now millennials working in companies. And in, 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 in 10 years or so, they're going to be the leaders in these companies and it isn't going to be me. And, and look at, and I would say also an advancement of technology has allowed us to kind of expedite that process. Do you know that try, fail, uh, assess, adjust, try, fail, succeed? Um, just through the immediacy of, of the internet and, and the tools that we use nowadays, we, we get that immediate feedback. And there was a study done on children who were using technology to be, it, it's a critical thinking part of it. So the, the, the developmental part, um, is more intense rather than, um, what am I trying to say here? Uh, the t it's a lot less time, but more choices to be made. So it increases their critical thinking and increases their 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 choice making functions. Because they're making choices on a regular. Because basis. they're making choices more. It's like it's like saying if you played piano once a month for a year, um, how good would you be at piano? Versus if you played piano every single day for a year, how good would you be at piano? I think uh, right. Seth made another um, uh, another comment. And uh, Our video games so attractive. <laughs> now that's, um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, rocky. that's rocky. But Seth says that his 12 year old currently does what he, what he, what he wants because there's a consequence to it. I agree with that in, in some respect. Um, but I think you're also, you have to take into account personality of the person that you're dealing with. And I think that, you know, I had uh, four children. Uh, it, it always amazed me. They were raised by the same parents in, in basically the same situation, the same way. My two younger kids got less discipline than my two older kids. But frankly, my two older kids were more difficult because of who they were uh, 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 personality-wise. And my two younger kids were easier to deal with because of who they were personality-wise. Um, I could tell my youngest daughter, go ahead and do what I tell you to do, and she probably would do it um, even today. Uh, but if I told that to my oldest son or my oldest daughter, they they just assume tell me to go, you know, place something in a place that's not comfortable, right? You know, I like um, I like that he said they get that that his twelve year old gets mad when everybody gets a trophy. Yeah, yeah millennials I, millennials I, don't like being told that we're great at everything. Is we've been told we're special and we're amazing, like growing up, and now people are like, well, they think they're special. Like, no, we don't. We yeah. really, honestly, don't. We're tired of people saying we are. And that we've got some kind of entitlement. We don't want trophies. We don't want participation because it devalues what that trophy is. There was really, no difficulty to overcome. I really think millennials really, they want, they want the feedback. Uh, so in, if we're going to talk about 
how millennials fit into our, our corporate structure or, or as employees. Uh, I think as owners of small businesses, um, it's an atmosphere we want to create for everybody, not just millennials. We want to give them that feedback. Hey, great yeah. job. I, I always try to, you know, whenever we have an issue, we address the issue, we clear the air, and then we move on. Uh, and we tell them, I always constantly tell all my employees, my 50-year-old employees, all the way down to my 28-year-old employees, good job. Thank you for the hard work. And, and I like to hear that. You know, people like to hear that. It's not the end-all, be-all. But I think for millennials, that's really the guidance they're looking for in a work environment. Because I think for the most part, yes, they want, I think they want all the things that we have achieved eventually. Uh, but I think along the way, they want to know they're doing a good job. And uh, I think if we create that kind of atmosphere, you'll find happy employees and, you, and, you'll, and you'll, you'll get them trained up uh, eventually once they see the value in what they're doing. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it might be the end all be all. I mean, obviously they have to get a paycheck. Like Ken said, we have to live in the world. I got to pay my bills. I got to eat. Um, but I think that, and I don't do it enough. I mean, my father didn't do it at all. I do it maybe a hundred percent times more than he did, but it's still not enough. Um, is there a point where it's over the top? Is there too much? Thank you. You did a good job. Um, uh, or not. I, you know, it, I don't, it, it I don't has know. to be, it, it has to be authentic. Here, it has to be yeah. authentic. If it isn't, and it's just kind of like a, you're doing so great. Why am I doing great? What did I do? Great. Right. It, it, it has to be genuine and authentic. Otherwise, it's it's worthless. It's almost. Yeah, it's got to be a, it's got to be attached to a, a real thing that they oh, get. Yeah. Right. You know, hey, good job. Yeah. High five. You know, get excited yeah. about it. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, we got two things that I want to cover quickly because we're getting towards the end. And, oh, and yeah, I can't believe how fast this went by. I was I was kind of. We're dreading. gonna we're gonna have to save a lot of these questions for like the next episode. I'm game. We'll do another one. Um, yeah. But Rocky says, "Why are video games so important?" Now I'm gonna lay my two cents on that. Um, I watch, I don't play video games. I mean, I, I Pong or whatever. I mean, I, I play Pac-Man, Mrs. Pac-Man, Asteroids. But when I got to be like 20, I, I quit all of the, Yeah. I was too busy working. Um, but I watched Kent and my other kids play video games. I think it is the instant feedback that makes that so uh, uh, inviting to them. They, they actually get to win the game and, uh, and, uh, and sometimes they die, and it's very frustrating and, and, and all of that. But I think it's the instant feedback, the, the, the constant loop of feedback that they're getting while they're in the game. Yeah, I don't yeah and, that's, and that's part of it. it it's, it's the challenge. It's the overcoming. It's that immediate feedback and being able to feel progression. In fact, the video game industry has, has been exploding like crazy. And, and you guys have noticed that. Even with Fortnite, they made $2.3 uh, billion within three months or something. It's so insane amount and it has to do with over the over the you know so decades that they, that video games have been in existence they've perfected the art of getting people invested in something um with that that doesn't have any real world like you don't have to play video games right you have to work you have to keep up and exercise and keep on your health and, and those things aren't fun video games are are just straight fun and they might be work but they've been designed in such a way that they influence your core drives to want to do that over and over again um, to the oh. point of addiction. All right. So that leads me into 
uh, I think I, I'd like to do just a brief commercial at the end, but I want to just uh, wrap up uh, uh, a couple of things yeah. here before we go there. But, you know, we've, we've created um, uh, gamification in our new program for service advisors. So I want to just take maybe a moment to do that. But first, uh, we're at the end. Patrick, I, I don't know if I say this enough, but you're amazing. I mean, you really are. <laughs> you're the man. Um, you know, I, I don't know if too many people, I mean, BJ's maybe one and you're the other, that I could send somewhere and really get a client. I mean, you're, you're just amazing, dude. And, Thanks. Uh, Appreciate and, it. I know you just took off, you know, three days from your business. You're not getting the kind of financial reward that you, you, you absolutely should for that. But, uh, man, I... I cannot tell you how much I appreciate what you've done uh, uh, and, and do for us. And Ken, even though you and I, you know, struggle uh, to communicate a lot, um, and, and you give me more crap than anybody else in my business, um, uh, I, I think it's a good thing because I think that together we make a much better... Um, uh, we're challenging each other, which is always good. And we're helping... We're helping more people because of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the leading edge is, it was my idea, but Kent's the one that puts the work together and makes things happen. Uh, the service advisor program. Uh, uh, Patrick, you're looking at the three guys that, that are, are pulling all of this together, this new service advisor mastery program. Uh, I got to answer one little thing of Kim's, and that is, um, do millennials know what arcades are? Yes, yes we know what arcades are. Because their parents used to take them <laughs> to arcades. In the old days, um, <laughs> when there were still arcades around. Um, all right, um, Patrick, uh, last word. Um, man, I'm 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 tired. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, many you are? <laughs> uh, you know uh -huh. what? Uh, uh, hang in there. Uh, keep positive. Uh, try to create a, a a winning atmosphere where everybody can win in your shop. Um, uh, and it's possible. It can be the boys. Yeah, yeah, it can be done. And and just just stay positive. You can, there's nothing you can't get through. And if you need any help, call us. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah any, please message us. Advice. Yeah, just 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 message us on Facebook or whatever. Just reach out if if you need some help. We're if here you to help. I'll give you my phone number. You can text me. Like, yeah. We yeah, love, love this. So thank you, Patrick, for tuning in, even though you are beat to death and you're about to come <laughs> oh on an eight-hour trip um, to go home um, and lose two hours or three hours along the way. Yeah. Um, uh, Kent, last word? Um, I think this is interesting. It was kind of a slapped-together episode uh, just because of the vacations and the scheduling and all that. But uh, uh, I think, honestly, I just want to, like, ask everybody, like, if you have questions, please submit them. Send us a message on Facebook, you know. Really, we want, we're, we're here to help. You, you don't be afraid to ask any questions, right? Yeah. And we'll discuss them in the leading edge. We'll, we'll talk about them. We want to give you guys help. Kim's funny. Um, she says the, the young guy wants to use the digital. The old guys want to use the phone. Don't call me. Uh, I won't answer the phone. <laughs> uh, text me or, or send me a, a, an email or a Facebook contact. And uh, I, I'll get to you as soon as I can. We, we do not, we answer our, our, our texts and our comments and we help people even when they're not paying us, you know, thousands of dollars to, to consult. So um, that's what we're here for. And that's what the leading edge is here for. Tell your friends about it. Uh, we're going to do some more marketing, hopefully uh, increase the audience. We're going to be here every two weeks, whether you like it or not. Every other Thursday. Discussing uh, uh, issues that we believe to be important. And I think this was a great episode. Now, quick commercial. 
We have a new service advisor mastery program that Patrick and Kent and I have put together. Uh, we are putting gamification in that. The, uh, the service advisor will be on teams. Um, there will be individual rewards and team rewards. Uh, uh, there'll be instant feedback. Uh, we looked at our current programs. We felt like we were trying to jam too much in too short a time. And unfortunately, a lot of the stuff we talked about didn't make it home and they weren't able to do it. So we've created a year-long program. We're calling the Service Mastery Program. We have more than 70 concepts we'll be teaching in multiple ways. They'll be coming to us for uh, uh, classes. We'll be doing online classes monthly. We'll be ha handing them recorded things to do. Uh, we'll be talking with owners and service advisors uh, monthly to see where they're at. We'll be phone shopping them throughout the program. Uh, we'll be evaluating them throughout the program, both with a series of KPIs and with our conversations with the owners and the, and the service advisors themselves. And it helps us uh, be adjustable uh, in a way uh, because of the recorded and the, and the online training. We can adjust to what the needs are of the individuals. And, uh, and we're going to teach the main concepts uh, in, in class. Now, why did we go to a year-long program? Because it really needs to be a two-year-long program. Uh, but we knew how costly that would become. And so we, we're doing a year-long program, and we're supplementing that education with the monthly online training and the yeah. monthly recorded uh, stuff through our, 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 our very uh, fantastic uh, learning management system online yeah. called Bridge. We wanted it to be accessible. We didn't want it to cost the, the shop owners a whole lot, especially sending an advisor out of the shop. Um, ways to re-engage them, retain the knowledge, be able to apply it so that after the program, you know, it, it'll, they'll continue to grow. They'll, you know, continue to work on where they're at instead of letting it fall off after a, a, a training. We are, we, filling, go we, are filling, we are filling the class right now. Uh, uh, we start in August with a, a, a review of the employee. Uh, both the owner will review the employee, the employee will review the employee. We will be phone shopping them multiple times and we will personality profile and strength profile uh, do a couple of different profile Assessment, yeah. um, assessments of where they start. So that in September, uh, on the 22nd, 23rd, I believe that's the weekend, we are doing the weekend classes here. Uh, we can get that class going and get our first group through. Now, uh, limited seating, uh, I'm not gonna Only. tell you full at this time, but we do have, I think, uh, 12 or 13 commitments. Uh, and we only have 20 spots. Uh, so if you are interested, if you want your service advisors to be trained uh, by the best and to become the best or super advisors, as I'm calling them, um, uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to have them. Uh, I apologize for the commercial. We've gone over about five minutes. Uh, again, uh, thanks to everybody out there who has uh, participated and everyone out there that's gonna watch this. And uh, thanks to my wonderful uh, 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 staff and crew and partners in my business uh, for being here, guys. Um, Patrick, travel safe, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Yes, sir. All right. Bye. And away we go. In the next episode of The Leading Edge, we cover millennials again. You guys had so many questions, we just didn't have enough time to answer them. As always, The Leading Edge is every first and third Thursday of every month at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join the Institute Group on Facebook and get advice from other top shop owners as well as our experienced consultants. Brought to you by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Thanks for listening.